the Corinthians letter to the Corinthians, and we're in Second Corinthians chapter five. Second Corinthians chapter five. Well, I want to say at the beginning here, uh, just give you a brief report on how the men's advance went. And we had a wonderful time. God blessed. Uh, great preaching, great singing. We had some uh, just some uh, fun laughs and fellowship there. Good eating. And uh, thank you, men, that all you men that participated. And I hope that we'll even have more uh, participate the next year. And uh, you men that went, be sure to, uh, you know, encourage other men how good of a time it was, how the Lord worked in your heart. And uh, that'll make a difference uh, because when it impacts a life, that life can can be an encouragement to others. And exactly what we talked about, the theme of the conference was men uh, multiplying men just as disciples, as leaders. And uh, so the Lord used it and uh, we found out many things that we were unaware of. Uh, I won't go into all the details, but everyone had a man card. And as they called out different things, if you had uh, done, you had to go turn in your man card. And uh, so uh, it was it was quite funny. My favorite one was uh, if you'd ever had a pedicure, turn in your man card. I think we had 20 men go up and turn in their man card. Uh, so it was uh, that was something else. We had a good time, though. And uh, and uh, thank the Lord for his spirit working. Thank you for those that prayed. And, and again, uh, we're trusting God will just use that continually in our lives. Well, we're in Second Corinthians chapter number five. And I'm going to read before we do that. Could you just stick your bulletin or something right there in Second Corinthians five and also uh, go to First Corinthians chapter three? So we're, I just want you to mark both places. First Corinthians chapter three. So just put a place and mark it there, a bookmark or tithing envelope, something like that, that you can mark that. And then we're going to be looking at both of those passages and and uh, that would be helpful. But let's go back to our original passage there as you have the other one marked. We're second Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to begin reading in verse number ten. The Bible says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I want us to. Look at the subject this morning, church, of the, on the judgment seat of Christ. And this morning's title is simply this, Standing in Awe of the Judgment Seat of Christ. Would you pray with me, please, and please pray for me. Lord, thank you again for your people this morning. Thank you for your praises, Lord, as we lift you up on high and exalt you above all others. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to assemble together. And I pray that you would, Spirit of God, teach us this morning the truth of your word concerning the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, God, help us to be sobered by this truth. And Lord, also help us to be encouraged by this truth. And Lord, may we ever be changed 
because of this truth. So, Lord, we commit this message to you and may you receive all the glory from the decisions of obedience that will take place. In Christ's holy name, I pray. Amen. Standing in all the judgment seat of Christ. Paul is talking about a subject here that is, is to be remembered and to be thought of as one of those truths that, that we need to meditate upon often, especially for the believer. And I'll explain that here in just a moment. I'm going to ask Brother Luke or someone get me a glass of water or something here. That would be very helpful. I appreciate it, brother. Paul is teaching the believers in Corinth about the motivations of Christian living. You know, there are some good motivations for living for the Lord. He's going to talk about this, of course, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, he talks about the love of Christ. And he also talks about the motivation of, of men coming to Christ. But this one here particularly, uh, the judgment seat, is what we're going to focus on. And let me begin by saying that the judgment seat of Christ is totally different from the great white throne judgment. I want to make that clear at the beginning because I don't, I don't want to cause any confusion. You see, the, the, the great right, white throne judgment we find in Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 is designated for unbelievers. That's those that reject the gospel and die in their sins. They one day will stand at the great white throne judgment as unbelievers. Christians will never stand before the great white throne judgment. Can you say amen right there? Thank God for that because of what Christ has done for us. So because of what Christ has done. Thank you, brother. Christians will not stand before the great right throne judgment. However. There is a judgment that Christians will stand before, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. And that is the subject this morning that I will be speaking on. So let's just be clear and make sure I have everybody's understanding on this. And I'm going to ask you. All right. So the great white throne judgment is for who? Unbelievers. All right. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers, Christians, children of God, those that have been born again and received Christ as their Savior. And so I want to make that distinction uh, up front. You know, one way of understanding the significance of the judgment seat of Christ is to see it as a final test. A final exam, if you will, for the child of God. I remember well my least favorite weeks of school, especially at, at, at college, uh, were what we referred to as finals. I did not like finals. I didn't like any test, to be honest with you. I was not a good student in high school before I came to Christ and then went to ambassador after I'd been saved and, and still had a lot to learn there and grow in my character as a student and responsibility. But I was always terrified of, of tests. I just didn't like them. Some people don't mind them. Some people are crazy and like them. I don't know how that works. But nevertheless, uh, there, there's something that, that we all have to experience and, 
and in some way or another, if you've had any kind of schooling or whatnot, but even in life itself. But but we see that that is indeed what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be. It's going to be that final exam. You, you know, finals were stressful many reasons because they were going to uh, they were going to hold the student accountable for the information that had been taught, that had been communicated. And that that was accountability day that was going to test on what you had done with the truth or with the information that was given. And, of course, you know, some of us have some things to brag about and some of us do not. But nevertheless, that's what it was for. I remember specifically taking the um, this was before uh, even before I came to know the Lord. But I, I still remember the anxiety that I experienced on taking the ASFAB test. And uh, and really, the ASFAB test is is probably is not as difficult as an SAT or whatnot. But you have to take it to to go into the military. It's, it stands for the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery, and uh, you have to qualify a certain score uh, to get in. Number one. But not only to get in the military, but then your score, depending what what you have, will determine what jobs you qualify within the military. And and so you have to score a different one. The one I was wanting, uh, a marine science technician, which is basically an ocean biologist and, and uh, or something to that degree. I uh, I didn't quite qualify for that one. And I was going to actually take retake the ASFAB test because they allow you to do that once you're in the military if you wanted to qualify for a different rate. But then after the Lord saved me and called me into ministry, I did not uh, go that route. But nevertheless, uh, it, it helped you uh, to, to prepare you for what you were going to do in the military. And I just want to say here up front, that's that's the kind of uh, just if I can give somewhat of a parallel, somewhat of an illustration to help us understand as believers when we stand before Christ at the end of our life, which I believe that will be at the rapture. I believe we will go to, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord when we die. But I believe the, the judgment seat of Christ will take place uh, when Christ returns. And I believe that because of First John 2.28 says, And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so we understand that when he comes, that that's where we're going to start seeing accountability and giving an account for our life as believers. Now, notice with me uh, three points here. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at the reality of the judgment seat of Christ. Secondly, we're going to look at the revealing of the judgment seat of Christ. And then thirdly, we will look at the response to the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, I want us to look at the reality of it. It's going to happen. We know that in the word of God, it is clear, as I just read that verse from first John. And uh, do we have verses available ready, Brother Timothy? We can put that one up there. Notice when it says when when Christ comes, we want to have confidence. And that is what we want to do as children of God to prepare for the judgment seat of Christ. We want to be confident and we don't want to be ashamed. Okay, and and so we are preparing for that day so that we can be ready for it. Now, uh, thank you, Timothy. That'll be good. Now, I want us to see also that we must all appear because that's what the verse says. Notice verse 10 of our text. It says, for we must. Paul is including himself. 
we must all, A-double-L, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No Christian will be exempt. No Christian will be exempt from this judgment. Also, we see that we must give an account of ourselves. Uh, your life as a believer. That's what the judgment seat is about. Notice, uh, if you want to put Romans 10, Timothy up, uh, Romans uh, 14, 12, excuse me, says, so then every one of us shall give an account of who? Himself or herself to God. So that that is a clear teaching that I'm not going to be having anybody else around me uh, give an account for Brinson Jennings. Brinson Jennings is going to give an account for myself. In fact, in the context of that chapter of Romans, was talking about the, the, the wrong way to judge other believers. There was a lot of judging going on in a carnal way. And Paul was teaching, look, re- always remember, in your judgment of another, we're all going to eventually, we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of ourselves. And so that will help us in our and not being so harsh in our judgment towards one another, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to give an account for you. I'm going to have to give an account for me. So that's what we know. We're going to give an account of ourselves. And so let me give a little bit more detail on that. Number two, we're going to look at the revealing of the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that's this is where I'd like for you to flip back to chapter uh, three of first Corinthians. Would you go back to that place? I had you. Mark there, 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Notice verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 15. The Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide when he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. So this is a parallel passage to the judgment seat of Christ church. It's going to happen. It's a reality and there's a purpose for it. It is going to be a a revealing time. You ever been on a construction site or even uh, perhaps uh, someone's home or property where they put a sign up nearby the entrance and says something like smile, you're on camera. You ever see those? I saw one just recently right down the road here. It's just a basically uh, an empty lot. It's uh, I think they're planning on doing some construction there. But they put that sign out there, smile, you're on camera. And uh, however they're recording, whether they're not, I don't know. But, hey, they got me convinced anyway. Not that I'm planning on going there to take anything. But anyway, I just I just I just know that it's a, a warning sign. Well, can I just say this, Christian? If I can say this reverently, you need to smile because you are on camera, not in this room, but under the camera lens of the almighty God. He is recording every second of your life and my life. It is being recorded and one day 
at the judgment seat when it's your turn and my time, my turn, my life is going to be fully displayed before God Almighty. And everything that I have done as a believer, as a believer, as a child of God, I'm going to give an account for. And we know that there's going to be a revealing because the recording of your life and my life it will be played out before the King of glory. Who does the revealing? Well, we see clearly that Jesus Christ himself is the judge. He is going to be doing the revealing. Now, let me remind you, we're not going to stand before Jesus Christ as enemies. We are his children. We are his servants. And so we're not going to stand before our God and Savior as his enemy. But my friends, just like my children, they're not my enemy. I love them with all of my life and with all of my heart. But my children still have to answer to me as, as their father. And I still have to hold them accountable. It doesn't remove my love for them. But they're going to stand before me each day as I'm seeking to teach them and instruct them and lead them. Well, one day we're going to stand before our God. Our leader, our king, our master. And he is going to hold us accountable. So we see he does the revealing. And let me remind you, he uses what he uses to reveal. Notice what the passage clearly says. And, and, and back in first, we're here in 1 Corinthians 3. It says there in verse number 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. Now, if you go through those three or four verses, you're going to notice he's going to use that word work, man's work, at least four times. He's talking about your works as a believer, not for salvation, but as a saved individual, your work for his glory. Now, it shall be made manifest. Now, notice on down what it says. You ought to underline this in your Bible. It says in the middle of verse 13, it shall, talking about the works, it shall be revealed by what? Can you say that again, please? By what? Fire. Now, please understand, you can't, you got to be a Bible student here. This fire is not for punishment. It's not for punishment. This fire is to reveal what kind of works you have had all your life as a believer. It is to distinguish, it is to test, you, if you will, what you have done as a believer for the glory of God, what your motives have been, what your actions have been, and your investments in eternity. That is what is going to be revealed by fire. You see, the fire represents many times in the Bible as God's holiness, as God's judgment, and when it is unleashed, my friend, at the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be scrutinized. Our works will be put to the test. Our works will be truly revealed before God Almighty. Notice with me the similarity of what we see about God's fire and holiness coming from himself, even found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Look what it says. Daniel says, I beheld the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, which is referring to Jesus Christ, whose garment was as white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like, get it, the fiery flame and his wills as burning fire. Notice with me, Revelation chapter one, verse 14, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It says that his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And I do believe, ladies and gentlemen, that as we talk about Jesus Christ being the one who reveals, we're going to be looking in the face of our almighty and great Savior. But thank God, I am not going to be looking at him for me to judge my sin, if you will. He's going to be judging my works as a believer. And so we need to understand that. So he's doing the revealing. And then secondly, let's look at not only who is doing the revealing, but let's look at the works that will be revealed. Again, positionally, we are secure in Christ. And that will never change. I will give an account as a born again child of God. Our works will be revealed. And notice with me uh, in, in, in our passage, back in our passage, notice what it talks about uh, at the end of verse 13. It says it will be revealed by fire. And notice the last phrase of this. And the fire shall try every man's work. Now, please underline this. It is so important of what sort it is. S-O-R-T. Sort. So, in other words, Jesus, Paul is making clear here in the Word of God that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I'm going to be judged on what kind of works I have had as a believer. It's, we're not going to be judged on the quantity of our works. Because, let's face it, friends, we all can do lots and lots and lots of work, but do it for the wrong reasons. We can do it in the flesh. We can do it in a prideful way. We can do it in an arrogant way. We can do it in, 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 in with different ways. But we're not going to be held accountable for the quantity of our work. Ladies and gentlemen, believers are going to be held accountable for the quality of their work. Why we did it. Did we do it with our heart? Did we do it for His glory? It's going to be determined at the judgment seat of what sort it is. You know, we, we just saw that in, 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 in verse 13 in our last passage. Every man's work shall be made manifest. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says the things that are done in the body. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? We're going to give an account for everything we do in the body. What do we do in the body? We think. We taste. We talk. We live. We work. Everything done in the body. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he says, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's all inclusive, friend. That's the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's your life. That's who you are. That's who I am. And that's me every day. I'm going to give an account for that. It's going to be on display. It's going to be revealed. We know in Romans 10, we will answer for our lives. It's all of us. Think about the words that you use every day. We're going to give an account for. Even Matthew chapter 12 says that. Verse 36, Jesus said, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, notice what he says, they shall give account thereof in what? The day of judgment. I believe as a believer, I am going to stand before Christ and give an account of every word I have used since I became a Christian. And that which was for his glory 
will be will be uh, discerned. And that which I used that was fleshly and prideful, whether it be critical or gossip or anger or whatever it was, whatever spirit, all of those words, all of those things are going to be burned up. They're going to be burned up. And, and that and by the way, we're going to see that that which stays is that which was right and righteous. And that's where we're going to see that there is going to be a suffering of of, of there's going to be a suffering, a loss there. We're going to suffer loss in, in some way. But think about it with me, church. Every word. Every penny. Every thought. Every second, the way I use time, the way I use my money, the way I use everything as his child is going to be right there for Jesus Christ to determine whether it's going to be burned or whether it's going to remain. It's going to be tested by fire, the fire of our Savior's holiness we see this work, there is the good. In fact, we saw that in, in, in our other passage of 2 Corinthians 5. Remember what the Bible said? It said that which is good and that which is bad. What is the good? The good is that living for the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything you can settle down that I do for, as a, in a, with a selfish motive is not good. But then there's the bad. That's living for the pleasures of sin. Choosing to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, as was put in Hebrews in the context of Moses. And let me remind you that nothing will be hid from God. Nothing. And that should sober us, friends. I know it sobers me. Look with me there, just over in chapter 4. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Can I, can I point you to verse 5? Would you look there with me? Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, therefore, Paul says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Again, that's, I believe, evidence of the judgment seat being at the time of the rapture. Who both will bring to light, now get it, the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. You see, nothing will be hid. Nothing. That which you think right now that you are currently hiding, it will be revealed. Young people, let me warn you here. You may be fooling mom and dad right now. You may be fooling your church. But you're not fooling God. He's recording everything you're doing as his child. And it will not be hid at the judgment seat of Christ. Husbands, wives, let this be sobering to you. To all of us. That we're not hiding anything. And it will be revealed by the holiness and greatness of our Savior at that time. You see, not only do we see the works will be revealed, but we see uh, that rewards will be revealed. So you have the works and then you have the rewards for the works. 
And uh, we notice in uh, our, our other passage of 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, Receive the things. What things? He's talking about the rewards that we're going to receive. It's not going to be all uh, bad, I hope, at the judgment seat of Christ for you and me. There's going to be some good things to look forward to. Amen? And that's where we have to remember as Christians, hey, my life right now as a believer, it's really mattering. It's going to determine the way I live eternity in heaven as a believer. And what I'm doing for Christ, it's not in vain. That's why God told His church, He says, listen, I have not forgotten about your labor of love. I see everything you do, even offering someone a drink of cold water in my name. The little things in life, the big things, everything that you do in the name of God, I'm telling you, you're going to be rewarded for that. Now, again, it's not you don't we don't labor just for reward. And we're going to look at that. But the very fact is, there's nothing wrong with being encouraged by looking forward to a reward. God makes that clear in his word. So we see here. That the rewards will be revealed. Now, there are, very, there are various awards and various degrees of awards given out at this time. They will be based upon what you did for the Lord by His Spirit. I want to make sure I'm clear on that. Because we do a lot of things in the flesh. But when you are led by God's Spirit and filled with Him, you're going to produce that fruit that is going to be rewarded at the judgment seat. Let me share a, a, a quote here from Leonard Ravenhill. He said, remember, grace is free, but rewards are not free. They are earned. So the rewards that I'm going to get and you're going to get are, are not free. They're earned as a believer. You're a steward. And God has made you a manager over many things in life. Whatever you are in your life, God has given you responsibilities around you and you're going to be a steward of that. And that's what you will be held accountable for. And and a couple of verses that show that Colossians chapter three, verse twenty four and twenty five. If you want to just uh, glance over there, if you want to hold your place, though, and go over to Colossians, it's right after Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians chapter number three. Notice, notice with me what the Bible says in verse 24 and 25. Oh, we have it on the screen there. Okay. It says here, knowing that of the Lord, he shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ. And verse 25, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. So we see the teaching in the Word of God that it's clear that God is no respecter of persons. He's going to reward you simply upon what you have done in His name and for His glory. There's going to be no favoritism at the judgment seat of Christ. There's not going to be just wanting to be even uh, because this one person didn't get as much. No, every man will give an account of himself and be, will be rewarded exactly with that which remains. You know, and there are crowns mentioned in Scripture that will be given to believers, there are five crowns mentioned specifically in Scripture, and that's a whole different message, but I'll briefly mention them. There are five crowns mentioned. There's the incorruptible crown. That's talking about those that invest in eternity with their finances, with their time and with their effort. They have an eternity in mind to make an impact uh, for everlasting life on other people's lives. 
And then there's the crown of righteousness. That is for those that love his appearing. So when Jesus comes in the rapture, the Bible teaches those that are living a life that's expecting his return. That's looking forward to his return. There's a crown for those of us that will live in a way that we love his appearing. There's also uh, the crown of rejoicing. Paul mentioned that in reference to the Thessalonians, and that refers to what we call some people call the soul winner's crown. That's for those of us that make an effort to lead people to Christ and people that come to Christ, not direct, maybe directly under our influence, but maybe even indirectly through through a word of the gospel, a way of praying for them. But it's the idea of people who are concerned about other people's souls and are seeking to make a difference. That is the crown of rejoicing. There's also another crown, the crown of life. That's for those Christians who uh, endure suffering. You might be here today and you're experiencing some great physical pain. Maybe there's a sickness that you cannot help. Maybe there's a disease there in your body that seems to uh, break you daily. I want to tell you, as you endure as a believer, as you rest upon God and His grace daily, you will receive a crown for enduring suffering. Those of you that suffer persecution in your workplace, some of you young people at school who are mocked and ridiculed for your faith in Christ, you stand strong for the Lord Jesus Christ and at the judgment seat, you will have a crown of life. But not only that, there is the shepherd's crown that is mentioned. I believe that is in reference to those that are in leadership in the local church. I believe it's not only pastors, but I believe it's Sunday school teachers. I believe it's uh, nursery coordinators. I believe it's leaders in the church who are faithful and do it for the glory of God and not for the eyes and applause of men. People who are just wanting to serve and make a difference. I believe there's a shepherd's crown. Those are all crowns. And by the way, just a little tidbit here. There are the, the, the word crown, the English word crown is, is translated uh, from two Greek words. One Greek word, which is all the crowns that are mentioned at the judgment seat of Christ, they are the word Stephanos, where we get our name Stephen. It's Stephanos. Stephanos. And the other one is dia, Diadas. Uh, it is, uh, excuse me, Diadema. And that is where we get our English word Diadem. The Diadem, the, the Greek word there is for royalty. That's not what these are talking about. These Awards or crowns were given to the Greek athletes in the time of the Olympics. And it's very interesting because of what they were made up of. The crown was woven of oak leaves, of ivy, of parsley, of myrtle, of olive, of violets, of roses. And they were put upon that, that competitor, that athlete upon him for his either pinning the wrestler, outrunning the other runners, whatever it was in, in that competition, they were awarded that. That was the Stephanos crown. And that's what Paul used over and over. And you know what is interesting? He told him in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, listen, these Greek athletes, they strive for a corruptible crown, the leaves. But then he went on to say, but Christians, we're striving for an incorruptible Stephanos. You are going to be you're going to be crowned according to your works as a believer. And that is going to be with you. I believe in some way you're going to be identified by that for all eternity up in glory. It doesn't mean you won't be in glory if you don't get any, because even though those that come empty handed, I'm going to share something with you that should motivate you to do more for Christ. But nevertheless, we see clearly 
what is the purpose of these crowns? Well, these crowns, I believe, are going to give us greater opportunities to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because church, let me be very clear. There's not a Christian in this room that can take any credit or any glory for the good works you do for Christ. They are produced by the Holy Spirit of God. Because He lives in you, what you simply have done is yielded your life. You've made your life available, your mind, your body, your, your goals in life, your desires, your responses. You've just made yourself available to the Holy Spirit of God and He produces that work. And so He gets all the glory for all eternity. But thank God, just like He gives us an opportunity to serve alongside Him here on earth, He's going to give us something very similar up in glory. And I'll tell you, brethren, I don't want to show up in glory at the judgment seat of Christ empty-handed. I want to make my life count for Christ. I want to make a difference for His great glory. We know that as in Revelation 4.11 says, He says, Lord, Thou art worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. For Thou hast created all things. Praise God. And for Thy glory they were created. Those crowns will be cast at the feet of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. I also believe it will determine places of service in eternity. Some will have different types of service. We know in Matthew chapter 25, 23, Jesus said on the parable of the stewards, He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He said, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Hey, I'm here to tell you, friends. We can understand very clearly that God is going to recognize our faithfulness to Him. And my friends, my motivation is not just for the reward, but my motivation is that I will have more to to worship and glorify my God with. I will have the opportunity to exalt Him and, and give those things back to Him that He is worthy. And I do believe there will be a significant difference between many believers. And that brings me to my next point. Because not only do we see here in our context of that which will abide, that which will stay, that gold, silver, precious stone, but notice with me that which we do selfishly will burn up. Notice in the context it it gave two categories. Notice verse number uh, 12. It gave two categories. It had the gold, silver, precious stones, and then it had the wood, hay, stubble. That's where we will suffer loss. I I didn't say that. God's Word says it in verse 15. Look right there in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If any man's work shall be burned, which would be the wood, hay, stubble, he shall suffer what? He shall suffer loss. What does that mean? It means it's going to be burned up. doesn't mean you're going to be punished. It doesn't mean you're going to be burnt. Praise God, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the wood, hay, and stubble for for those times in your Christian life that you just live for yourself and yourself alone. And you didn't live in the light of eternity and live in the light of God's glory. That's what's going to burn up. 
Many Christians are living life just with their insurance card. They say, I got my fire insurance. I've been saved. And hey, as long as I get in, I'm okay. My friends, I want to tell you, there can be nothing further from the truth. It's not going to be okay. There's going to be a suffering of loss there. And you're going to know it. And it's going to be broken for you and me for those areas that it indeed happens. A suffering of loss. Some will have more than others. Jesus will determine this, and he is no respecter of persons. Listen, like I said earlier about the quality is more important than the quantity. Which would you rather have, a truckload of hay or a handful of diamonds? And there's a lot of things in life that we're building up in this life that we put so much emphasis on, and it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. When indeed we should be investing in eternity Uh, that false doctrine that says there will be no losers at the judgment seat of Christ, that is false. I like what Dr. Comfort said, if you believe that the Apostle Paul and a Christian living in adultery will have an equal standing at the judgment seat of Christ, I cannot accept that. And neither do I. Not that they're going to be punished, but to think that they're going to have the same awards as somebody that lives their life as a believer totally for themselves. My friends, that's not the Word of God. I like what William Scroggie said. He said, I would rather go through the great tribulation than to stand at the judgment seat of Christ as a carnal Christian. And my friends, if you think for a second that the the Sunday morning Christian, and when I say that, I mean somebody that just acts like a Christian at one part of the week, and then the rest of the week they live the way they want to compared to somebody who's sold out for the Lord, living for Christ, making a difference, you've been sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen that way. There's going to be a revealing. Do you remember the look that Peter received from the Lord after Peter betrayed him? You remember that church? And again, let this be a reminder to us. The judgment seat of Christ is not going to be a time of punishment. But there will be a suffering of loss there. A reward. Remember what happened to Peter? Peter had betrayed the Lord. He had denied the Lord three times and, and, and he was, he was guilty. And I do believe, church, that when Peter went out and wept bitterly, do you know why he did that? Remember what happened right before he went out and wept bitterly? It was when Jesus Christ made eye contact with him. And this is my opinion, church. I I can't prove this. I don't have a verse for this. But I do not believe that the look from Christ was a scowl. I believe it was a look of love, but yet disappointment. That this is what I was talking to you about, Peter. Peter. It was a confirmation of love, but at the same time, it was a confirmation that, Peter, you you have let me down. And I believe that there's going to be a very similar work at the judgment seat of Christ that I do not look forward to, because I believe there are going to be areas in my life that are going to just go up in flames, where I'm going to have to look my Lord in the eyes and realize that, Lord, that was vain. That was vain. There we see that. I believe there is going to be a realization of horrific regret from believers that just never woke up. 
They never realize that, yes, it does matter how I live as a believer. I am going to give an account to my Savior for what I've done for Him and what kind of spirit I had when I did do it. Let's say you have a recently built new two-story house. While on the second floor, you smell smoke. Looking downstairs, you see that the first floor is on fire. You jump out the second story window to save your life. You then watch your new house burn to the ground. Obviously, you will have mixed emotions at that time. You're thankful that you were able to jump and save your life, but you are sad because your new house is destroyed. This is similar to those believers who are saved but have nothing to show for it. They've wasted their opportunities to live for Christ, yet they are enjoying the benefits of heaven with Jesus. And I do believe that that's exactly what the verse was saying. He shall suffer loss, but himself shall be saved. You still will be in the hands of God. You still will spend eternity with Christ, but there will be such as by fire. And that means that it was tested. All of it was tested. So how should we respond in closing? Would you notice with me the response to the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ we see and uh, go back to Second Corinthians, would you please? You've listened so well. I know this is not a hip, hip, hooray type of message, folks, but please may God have his way in our hearts. Look at Second Corinthians chapter number five. And notice back there, verse 11, after he had brought up the, the judgment seat of Christ, he says, notice, knowing, therefore, talking about the judgment seat, knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Church, there should be a response to the judgment seat of Christ from you and from me this morning and every day. My prayer is this, Lord, help me to live in the light of the judgment seat of Christ. That I'm going to give an account for everything. And notice that's what Paul was saying to him. Knowing, therefore, the terror that we could experience because we did waste our lives, because of the loss that could be at, at, at risk there, what, what should that do to motivate us? And my friends, I must say that if the judgment seat of Christ doesn't motivate us to live lock, stock, and barrel for Christ... I'm not sure what will. I'm just not sure. Three responses, if you want to jot these down, that I think it could, could truly, it should truly do. The judgment seat of Christ. Number one, there should be a trepidation. Knowing the terror of the Lord, the thought of appearing before Christ should astonish us. Even right now where we sit, the very fact that I am going to have my life out before Christ for Him to see should astonish us. You know, a healthy fear of God produces a dread of disappointing Him. Our theme this year is, I stand in awe. That phrase is is synonymous with, I fear the Lord. And that is going to be much of our theme. And I tell you, a healthy fear of God produces a a dread of disappointing disappointing Him. Spouses, let me encourage you. Listen, loving your spouse and loving each other so much, you should have a fear of disappointing each other. It should make your stomach turn inside when you've done something that that has disappointed your spouse. It should do that. Why? Uh, It's because you're scared of them? No, it's because you love them. 
You love them so much. And that's the spirit that God is calling His children. Listen, don't fear me just because you're cowering. Fear me because you love me so much and you dread disappointing me. That's the truth of fear. That's what we see here. A healthy fear of God also produces a delight in hearing Him say, Well done. <laughs> Maybe you parents can relate right here. I, I, in fact, this just happened yesterday, which I was kind of ironic, but happy yesterday. But my kids love coming to get me when they have cleaned their room. I had them both, boy. They, when it's clean, Daddy, you got to come see my room. You got to see it. Then the other one hears it. Dad, you got to see mine too. And I did. I went up there and man, I wowed. I was like, wow, guys, this does look good. Man, things, I won't go look in the closet, but everything else looks so good right now. There's going to be a lot of that at the judgment seat of Christ too. Jesus is going to praise us. Wow, son. Wow, daughter. This right here, these things, I see you did that for me in my glory. I'm so pleased. I'm so encouraged. And after I saved you, you live for me and not for yourself. And when you did mess up, and I think this will be played out too, I believe he'll see when we have messed up, which we do. He says, and I saw where you got right. I saw where you confessed that sin. And I'm pleased with that, child. And you stayed in fellowship with me when you stepped out. I believe, my friends, that there is, is that, that, that trepidation. A healthy fear produces a delight in hearing our Lord say, well done. My kids had a spirit of showing daddy and friends by God's grace. I want to stand before Jesus, my Savior, one day. And I want to be on my knees or on my face. And I just want to say, God, thank you. Thank you for letting me serve you. Thank you for what you did in my life in helping this individual Helping this church, helping this neighbor, helping this family member. Lord, thank you for letting me serve you in missions and reaching people across the world through faith promise. Lord, thank you for letting me have all these things and to give back to you. I believe, my friends, there is needs to be an anticipation, not only a trepidation, but an anticipation of the praises of God. And if you think I'm stepping out of line here, let me point to you real quick. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, chapter 5, verse Number four, we were just there. First Corinthians. Can you notice there? Look at first Corinthians chapter four. Look at the end of verse five. In light of the judgment seat, he said he's going to reveal all things, even the hidden things of darkness. He will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. But notice this. And then shall every man have praise of what? Of God. God's going to recognize that which we've done for Him and Him alone. Oh, my friend, it doesn't have, the judgment seat of Christ doesn't have to be a place that we only dread, that we only have trepidation, but it can be a place of anticipation as a child of God to look forward to. And not only anticipation, but it, the, the third motivation it should be, and the third response should be motivation. Notice what Paul uses in the context there back in chapter 3. He's, I mean, excuse me, Second Corinthians 5. He says, by the terrible Lord we what? We persuade men. 
That's in 2 Corinthians 5. It says it right there at the end of the verse. It says very clearly, because of the knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The third response should be motivation. Persuading men to be reconciled to God. You know what? We should be persuading unbelievers to turn to Christ. You know why I think it's so sweet in the context? If you go on down to verse 21 of that same chapter, do you know what he says right there in the passage in verse 21? He says, for he hath, uh, excuse me, uh, verse number 20. He says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. In other words, we are standing in the place of Christ right now. We're all little Christians. We're standing in the place of Christ. And you know what we're saying to men? Be ye reconciled to God. So. That should be a motivation because God has called us to persuade men to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, the lost world. And there are many Christians in churches today that make no effort in their daily life to see men reconciled to Christ. And may the Lord help us in this. And may we live in the light that God's going to recognize that. But not only men to Christ, but I tell you one thing, there ought to be also a persuasion to other believers Maybe there's some believers here this morning, and this is maybe the first message you've ever heard on the judgment seat of Christ. Maybe in this context, who knows, maybe you've heard multitudes. But nevertheless, are we taking this to heart to let our hearts be back to God and fellowship with Christ because we're going to get them an account? You say, Pastor, you don't know what I've done as a believer. I want to tell you right now, God knows and he will forgive you. He will restore your fellowship and you can get right back on a fresh start with God right today. And God will recognize that at the judgment seat of Christ. And you can make that decision, but only you can make it. But let me tell you what else we ought to be, we ought to be encouraging each other. There's no doubt in my heart that there are Christians in this room that you know of believers right now that are out of the will of God. They, they are not living for Christ. And you know what they need? They need a dear brother and sister who will come to them in a gracious spirit and say, my, my dear friend, I love you, but you understand we're going to be standing before the Lord one day. And we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. Let's focus on eternity. Let's focus on glorifying Christ. You can do this. God will help you. He's worthy. Listen, we need to do that for one another. God's called us to do that. And if we don't do that, I believe we're going to give an account for that when Jesus says at the judgment seat, why didn't you talk to this individual? I gave you a, a relationship with them. I gave you a bridge with them. But you chose not to. I believe that we can save many, even believers, from living a wasted life by simply going to them in the Spirit of Christ and warning them and reminding them that we will be standing before the judgment seat of Christ. This poem, Alexander McLaren said, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Oh, he'd have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing, 
down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord, of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern thou hast planned. Alexander McLaren. The judgment seat is meant for us professing Christians, real and imperfect Christians. And it tells us that there are degrees in that future blessedness proportioned to present faithfulness. Let's pray.